Welcome to the Knowledge Nuggets podcast hosted by John Ingram. All right, we are back. I'll be done in less than 20 minutes. How's that, Joe? Beautiful. All right, we do have a big topic today, but uh, welcome to the show. Anybody who has not seen the show before, but this is episode number 11, August 4th, 2021. John Ingram, Knowledge Nuggets. And as this show, and as in always, I have no disclosures. Uh, The motto here at Knowledge Nuggets, and why we call it that, is that you only have to spend a little bit of time and hopefully expand your mind. You want to be able to take something home with you from this little segment here. So this week's topic, the consequences of red blood cell storage. That's a big one, Joe and Tammy, so we're going to try to do it justice in a short period of time. So the format, if you guys have never seen the show before, we try to take a noteworthy topic each session. We try to give you something you can take home with you. We're going to have a screenshot or you can snap a photo of the screen. If you see this little golden nugget in the upper right corner of the screen, you'll know it's something you can take home with you. And hopefully you'll have it with you tomorrow where you can be a better clinician should something arise with this topic. It's hopefully a highly impactful segment, 12 to 15 minutes. We then do a little surprise, something we call Gem of the Week. It's just a two to three minute little surprise nugget that we give you. If you guys, uh, after that, we have panel discussion and questions. Anybody who wants to email me questions or comments or certainly suggestions for a future show, please email me at john.ingram at perfweb.us. So what are the consequences of red blood cell storage? So let's define this a little bit. 15 million red blood cell units are transfused to the United States every year. Biochemical and biomechanical changes occur during storage and contribute to something called Red blood cell storage lesion. So that's what I'm going to have up in the right corner there of this entire lecture, red blood cell storage lesion. Changes vary among donors and affects the time which these units can be stored and used. We're going to talk about that a little bit. As a consequence, many blood units donated by healthy donors show recovery rates as low as 40% of red blood cells after transfusion. The transfusion of these defective red blood cell units could adversely affect thousands of patients a year and raise the following questions. How are biochemical reactions in red blood cells affected during long-term storage? And what are the effects of storage on the metabolism of red blood cells from different donors? We'll try to address these two questions a bit here today. Answering these questions will give us a better understanding of the storage-caused changes of donated blood and hopefully improve blood storage and transfusion uh, results in the future. So FDA regulations with regard to blood, blood storage. Current FDA regulations impose a limit of 42 days for red blood cells stored with our current additive solutions and it must be at a temperature of four degrees Celsius. However, blood units from different donors show drastically different 24-hour survival rates, even under the exact same storage conditions. Here's a take-home slide, Joe. I know you love these. This is a good one to know. The regulatory criteria for the maximum amount of time that red blood cells can be stored using the storage solutions are 4 degrees plus or minus 2 
Celsius. And the, the, the criteria is hemolysis during storage must be less than 1%, and at least 75% of the red cells must survive for more than 24 hours once they're infused into the patient post-transfusion. Here's another slide. It's uh, not Dr. very long, Dumont, 24 his hours. Colleagues did a, did a, a study in yeah. 2008 in the Journal of Transfusion, evaluation of proposed FDA criteria for red cell recovery. They discovered that red blood cells from 12% of healthy donors stored in AdSol, the AdSol solution that's yeah. used for 42 days, did not meet the FDA requirement of 75% post-transfusion recovery. And if anybody's not sure what the AdSol preservative solution is, it's adenine, dextrose, sorbitol, sodium chloride, and mannitol, and there's some variations of this. And this solution maintains red cell viability for, for hopefully about six weeks in most donors. Now, donor variability, uh, Dr. Van Erve and his colleagues did two studies, uh, both, both same authors, one in 2014, one in 2015, and they looked at something called the heritability of human red, uh, human, uh, red blood cells. And they found that ATP and hemolysis levels change during storage in ways that not only vary among individuals, but also appear to be heritable, meaning it's genetic. Hmm. So a little bit about the history. The development of storage mediums in the 1940s, which is pretty much when they emerged for the ones we use today, allowed red blood cells to be stored for prolonged periods while maintaining much, but not all, of their functionality and viability. And then it was in the 1980s, uh, the allowable storage time increased from 21 days in the 40s to 42 days in the 1980s with the advent of the currently available storage mediums, mostly known as AdSol. But over the past decade or so, the detrimental effects of storage on red blood cell functionality and viability have come under greater scrutiny. So now, Here's a take-home slide again. These are three important things that happen during blood storage, the physiologic changes that occur, the difficulties shared by modern storage mediums and, techni and techniques that we use is that red cell functionality and viability are progressively impaired during storage by three interrelated mechanisms, altered metabolism, increased oxidative stress, and membrane damage. And we're gonna go through each one of these this can, get, this can get very deep, guys, so we're going to try to keep it, you know, not, not, not too complicated, but it is complicated. So altered metabolism. At 4 degrees, the red blood cell metabolic rate is reduced by 90%. What this means is that the metabolic activity is not going to cease entirely, right? There's still going to be metabolic activity of the red blood cells. So glucose or dextrose are added to the storage mediums to allow the red cells to continue glycolysis and to produce ATP, 2,3-DPG, and something called NADH we're going to talk about. And this needs to happen to maintain adequate functionality and viability during the storage time frame. Continued glycolysis, though, results in the accumulation of its primary byproduct, lactic acid. The, result, the resulting acidosis inhibits glycolysis via a negative feedback loop which results in a progressive reduction in the ATP 
and the 2,3-DPG and the NADH levels. So now, by week six, lactate levels have gone so high in the, in the, in the, in the red blood cell medium that the pH has become less than 6.5. ATP and NADH levels are greatly reduced, and 2,3-DPG content is nearly depleted. Reduced ATP levels impair all red cell metabolic activities, including glycolysis, which requires ATP. The formation, it also impairs the formation of cytosolic antioxidants. These antioxidants help us, uh, re, re, are very important for, for, for reducing uh, the effects of this. And they were not able to form these antioxidants with the um, ATP levels uh, being impaired. Maintenance of membrane integrity is impaired, thereby reducing red cell deformability and promoting alterations in their discoid shape. The depletion of 2,3-DPG reduces oxygen delivery. However, though, you have to point out that this is rapidly replenished immediately upon the blood being transfused back into the body. The most important contribution to the storage lesion, though, is the depletion of reduced NADPH, what I was talking about, which is something called nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. This uh, uh, impairs the conversion of met hemoglobin back to oxyhemoglobin within the red blood cell, thereby uh, ag aggravating the oxidative stress. So this NADH, which is then uh, depleted, uh, it, it no longer can convert the met hemoglobin, which occurs, back to oxyhemoglobin. So we have an accumulation of met hemoglobin occurring there. So cold storage impairs the exchange of sodium potassium, sodium and potassium across the red cell membrane via the sodium potassium ATBase pump. By week seven, intracellular red blood cell potassium content is decreased by 40% and the sodium content is increased by 300% because the sodium potassium pump is not functioning properly. Yeah. So the accumulation of sodium inside the cell and an accumulation of potassium outside the cell. The result is the potassium in the supernatant of the stored units is markedly increased, which may lead to hyperkalemia when we transfuse these blood, uh, this blood. By week three, increased intracellular sodium content affects cell volume and shape, increasing the mean corpuscular volume of the stored red cells. So you see you have a swelling of the red cells because this accumulation of sodium on the in, inside of the cell. So now let's talk about number two, increased cell oxidative stress. For hemoglobin to be able to reversibly bind oxygen to its heme irons must be in their fairest form. Normally, small amounts of oxyhemoglobin undergo a, a spontaneous oxidation anyway, generating a small amount of methemoglobin and also reactive oxygen species, oxygen-free radicals. This naturally occurs anyway. But methemoglobin itself is highly uh, uh, volatile, and it denatures into something called globin and hemin, which, that, which when combined with, with oxygen-free radicals in the area, in the environment, generate highly hazardous hydroxyl radicals that cause oxidative injury to the cell membrane lipids and its membrane proteins. So now normally, red cells are protected against this oxidative injury because the rate of spontaneous oxidation of the hemoglobin is very low and very slow. The NADH reduces 
methemoglobin back into the oxyhemoglobin form that we need. Cytosolic and membrane antioxidants neutralize the generated reactive species. But see, all of these protective mechanisms are impaired during blood storage. That's the problem. So the cellular acidosis increases, increases the spontaneous oxidation of hemoglobin into methemoglobin. As I said earlier, the protective effects of the NADH, GSH, and absorbic acid are markedly reduced. These are all protective effects. So the spontaneous oxidation of hemoglobin and the setting of reduced antioxidant defenses exposes the red cells to increased oxidative stress, which is the primary cause of cell membrane damage. So now let's talk about red cell membrane damage. Red blood cell functionality and viability is dependent on the integrity of the red blood cell membrane to maintain cell shape deformability, and mechanical stability. Storage-related metabolic alterations, such as reduced glycolysis, as I mentioned, and oxidative stress, have profound deleterious effects on the red blood cell membrane itself. Increased oxidation of hemoglobin leads to distorted forms of methemoglobin near the cell membrane and causes disruption of the membrane proteins. Denaturation of methemoglobin results in the formation of something called hemin and iron, which freely partition into the membrane lipid layer itself and cause peroxidation of membrane lipids, lipids, proteins, and the carbohydrates that are there. So now, you, I know you like this one, Joe, a lot. I'll tell you why. Because the membrane disruption and peroxidation causes membrane cation leak, increased cholesterol levels uh, locally, phosphofidexylerosine externalization, clustering of AE1, and increased production of microvesicles in the cell membrane. But these changes reduce the red blood cell functionality and viability by causing membrane instability, reduced deformability, and alterations in its discoid shape. And why I said that about you liking this one, Joe, is you've talked many times on this show about the red blood cells from the donated blood cannot deform themselves, which they need to do to be able to pass through the capillary. Right, right? there's seven there's seven microns, and the capillary is five. Right. It gotten... has to deform and squeeze through. That's what yeah. it does. Yeah. And this is what's happening, is that the membrane is being so uh, rigid and, and misfunctioning that it cannot deform itself properly. So let's look at reduced red blood cell viability. The final common pathway of storage-related injury is reduced red cell viability, resulting in pre- and post-transfusion hemolysis. By week four of storage, 25% of red cells in a unit of blood are hemolyzed. The pre-transfusion hemolysis leads to an eight-fold increase in free hemoglobin levels in the supernatant of the blood by six weeks of storage. Mm so a much more onerous burden on the recipient when they receive this blood is that the progressively increasing number of red cells that become senescent, in other words, they haven't ruptured, but they've become very aged, they've become very fragile, uh, that these uh, red cells that have become senescent, but they do not undergo hemolysis yet during storage. These red blood cells are removed from the recipient's circulation with one hour of within one hour of transfusion. That sounds like a good thing. It's not really a good thing. Why? Because your body's uh, uh, attempt 
to rapidly remove these aged red blood cells overwhelm our normal system that we normally have in place of handling a small amount of the hemolysis that occurs from our naturally dying red cells. So we've overwhelmed our system to handle when we give this massive amount of aged and hemolyzed red cells. So the conclusion, over the past several hundred years, we've witnessed an incredible progress in the efficiency and safety of blood transfusion therapy. But nevertheless, although we continue to acquire insight into the intricacies of metabolic mechanisms underlying red cell storage, the answers to many fundamental questions continue to evade us. Although we have succeeded in prolonging the shelf life of stored blood with advances in preservative solutions, the criteria on which this is based are almost completely arbitrary and have remained stagnant since the 1940s. We're also no closer to delineating the temporal pattern of changes with the red cell storage, nor the point at which these changes begin to manifest in clinically significant sequelae following transfusion. We have likely only hit the tip of the iceberg in beginning to identify predisposing comorbidities and contexts that may worsen prognosis following red cell transfusions of prolonged storage duration. All these questions warrant systematic investigation with a simultaneous understanding of research design and its many limitations. So now I think we're ready for the gem of the week. I think you guys are going to love this one. It's nice and short and sweet. Uh, the gem of the week, as you guys know, if you've never seen the show, can be almost anything I want to throw at you. It could be a trivia question. We could give you some tips on how to do a virtual interview. We could talk about a wonderful job opportunity as there in Houston. I know Joe's uh, hired several people uh, recently. We could talk about something in the perfusion news realm, something along the lines of a product recall. Perhaps we could talk about something that occurred interesting during celebrating Perfusion Week, which is just a couple months ago. We could take a famous quote, which we have done in the past, and we could also talk about an upcoming Perfusion meeting, which we've also done, such as Joe's uh, New Orleans Conference. So what is this week's Gem of the Week? Is a trivia question. Okay. Trivia question for you. Now, in July of 2020, approximately a year ago, according to a company called One Poll, a very reputable worldwide polling company. They surveyed 1,000 adults in the United Kingdom. 10% of the respondents, or a full 100 respondents, said that should their spouse eat at McDonald's without them, they would equate that act to which of the following offenses? <laughs> One, they would equate it to forgetting their anniversary. They would Number two, they would equate it to making an important financial decision without them. Number three, they would equate it to cheating on them with someone else. Number four, they would equate it to leaving a pile of dirty dishes in the sink overnight. Or number five, they would equate it to wrecking the family car. Don't, don't change the slide yet, guys. Hey, Tammy and Joe, write your answer down. Don't say what it is. Write what you think, one, two, three, four, or five, that the 10% of respondents felt that eating at McDonald's without them was equal to this egregious act. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, and the answer is 10, 1 in 10 think a partner ate at McDonald's without them is as bad as if they cheated on them. That's really funny to me because 
I don't much care for McDonald's, so none of those choices seemed appropriate, but uh, that is the one that I thought it, the answer okay, must well, be. Well, let's look, at, let's look at what else they found. One in five said that the taste of a Big Mac after this lockdown, because remember this was kind of yeah. during COVID, would be better than getting a raise at work. <laughs> Go ahead. 16% that eating a Big Mac after months of, months of not being able to eat McDonald's would be as exciting as the birth of their first child. Oh, wow. Yeah. Check this out. 13% that the experience would be better than their wedding day. <laughs> and they also found that 46% of the people surveyed said they would rather give up alcohol than give up eating at McDonald's. Joe, any comment? I have a and lot of comments. One, one of them, I think, one in 10 said they'd rather get rid of their cell phone than, than give up eating at McDonald's. And 29% that they would give up watching sports for a year if it meant they could eat a Big Mac right now. During McDonald's the must be doing great in the UK. <laughs> All right, guys. So there you go. There's my email again. Email me with questions or comments. Any questions you might have about this or previous shows. John.Ingram at perfweb.us. And time for panel discussion. I think we have five minutes. Blood storage lesion. And what if your significant other ate at McDonald's without you? Well, um, I really don't want to spend too much time on the latter. Uh, I will say that it's, uh, I wonder where they were when they did that poll. They were uh, in lockdown and they were hungry. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I can't see it. I, I, I kind of like you, I don't eat McDonald's. Um, I don't eat, I try not to eat fast well, food what at I, all. Well, what I tried to do is put it in my, that must be their favorite, you know, go-to place to eat. Again, so I, I think it I depends kind of on the neighborhood. I inserted. I think it just depends. I inserted one of my favorite restaurants and, and kind of thought about it that way. That's how I came up with my answer of yeah. number three. Yeah, I think very concerning. But that was a fun um, trivia. Thank you, John. But thank I don't, you, John. I know we don't have a lot well, of time, but... Um, yeah. You know, I, I want to talk just briefly, uh, make a couple of comments about your um, presentation. I thought it was excellent, excellent as usual. And, um, you know, it, it tied in nicely to um, the first presentation yes. that Katie did. Cause she Which talked... wasn't supposed to be that start Yeah, with, so it worked it out great. Because, you know, we discussed okay, just very, very briefly just the depletion of what happens when 2,3-DPG uh, goes down. Well, I didn't realize that it gets replenished that quickly. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but I... yeah that, was, that was kind of interesting because we focus on that in our education, don't we? That you're giving uh, blood back to people that cannot uh, accept the oxygen, but then you don't think about, well, they're going to get it refreshed when it gets donated. But um, this is a huge topic. You know, I pulled up about five articles on this. And it got very heavy very quick. It was actually a struggle for me to keep this simple. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at so many of the things that are going on inside the cell, on the cell membrane, with the hemoglobin, with the uh, oxygen-free radicals that are being uh, produced, and then all the different things um, to do with NADH, and then there's even things about uh, citric acid, uh, the glycolysis process is, is muted, and it becomes uh, sluggish. And then that produces, uh, you're producing lactic acid with nowhere for the lactic acid to go. Yeah. And then you have this negative feedback where you need to produce ATP, but the lactic acid is decreasing your availability uh, for the ATP. And so it's a whole downward spiral 
It really is. Especially in massive transfusions. Yeah, in massive transfusions, it's, it's really, really a problem, mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Have you guys ever noticed that you give a patient, you know, a lot of blood, maybe just two, three units one day, and, and maybe even as soon as the next day, or, or maybe 36 hours, their hemoglobin isn't really all that high anymore. Yes, like, yes. Well, and so, we, we usually yeah. associate that with active bleeding. Yes, yes. Right, and it, it probably is, but you also see that the, that the long-term... The FDA has only said they want 75% of this blood to survive 24 hours. That's right. right. That's yeah. not a whole heck of a lot. No, we're, we're, oh. we're giving this blood, but sometimes not having much of a change at all, actually, long term. Right, right. right. absolutely. Right. And I think, too. That was kind of my point there. Yeah. Was that. Yes. And I think, too, that the, because uh, there have been some very good studies. I wish I had the slide. I don't have, I could probably find it. Because uh, when I lost, when they stole my computer and my, oh. my hard drives, I lost a lot of my slides. Um, but it's a study that was done where they took re stored red blood cells. They took new cells and then stored over various days and mm -hmm. put them into an accelerometer. And as the cell was accelerated, the older it got, the less deformable it became. To where yes. it was just, it, was rigid. it didn't change at all. Yeah. So you wonder what that does to the microcirculatory capillary bed mm -hmm. uh, as you're giving these transfusions and they're getting pumped out to the systemic circulation or into the lungs, yeah. uh, whatever it may be, because that's, that's a capillary system. So, you know, how much of, how much, of course, we're, we, that's what trolley is, right? I mean, that is some degree of. Trolley mm -hmm. is a catch-all term, right? Transfusion-related yeah. acute lung injury, but that can be from uh, giving those transfused bloods and basically creating a a pulmonary embolic yeah, uh, type because of you're, scenario. Yeah, you're, you're you're clogging up the the uh, the pathways. Right. So here you're giving something to improve mm -hmm. tissue oxygenation, and you do the opposite. And you <laughs> right, and you damage the lung in the process of doing yeah. it. So. Maybe those people that refuse blood have something uh, something going on. But, I, you know, we've given a lot of blood to a lot of people, and it certainly is life-saving. I don't mm -hmm. want to give the wrong impression here. But, uh, John, that was excellent. I don't mean to, to, to cut this short, but Tammy and I have a, uh, a date with McDonald's to get a Big Mac, <laughs> and uh, uh, we're going to do that. But thank you again for a, a great uh, presentation and program today. Tammy, thank you very much for your participation in this, given how absolutely horrifying your schedule has been and your lack of sleep. You look great. Um, yes. And I want to thank Matt and Katie from Vanderbilt and Nashville for their contribution today. I want to thank David and Magic for making the program run, despite all the technical glitches that occurred and the delay in getting the things that they needed to be able to put all of this together. Um, and I want to thank all of you that watched the program. And especially uh, to those who ask questions and comment. That yes. certainly makes this uh, dialogue more meaningful. And so we um, really ask you to continue to do that. Yes. And I'm sorry to disappoint, but because Tammy did not do the journal club, there will not be a journal club, Tammy Sparacino Journal Club. Maybe casino. we can do it. Two times next time. Maybe so. Um, so with that said, we will bid you adieu. I think we have a program in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be talking about a technique that I have popularized over time. We've done a couple of programs on it. But I think it is such an elegant technique 
Tammy did her first uh, systemic hyperkalemic uh, minimally invasive mitral valve yesterday for the very first time from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And uh, it went very, very, very well, I thought. Patient did great. And, uh, but I think, it, I, I believe it is a very uh, elegant technique for myocardial preservation, uh, quiet, still feel for the surgeon, and being able to change it very easily. Yeah, it went great. But that's what the talk is going to be. Okay. And I'm going to try to get some new diagrams and things like that created for it, and hopefully you'll be able to talk about your experience with that first case that you did. And, yeah. and with having done one case, do you now feel like you could do that case again yes. by yourself. Because I had seen, you know, I'd, I've attempted to be a part of my first case, I think, seven times. A few times we've had some cancellations, a couple other times, you know, scheduling requirements, I had to go somewhere else. So I've seen bits and pieces of this technique, but never anything from start to finish. And I got to say, I understood the concept, but putting it all together seemed very confusing to me in those parts where I just got to see the beginning or the end or whatever. And now that I've done one, start to finish, I feel completely confident. It's a very um, uh, easy uh, technique to be able to adapt to any bypass circuit. It's very simple. It, it really is. is. It's very simple, but it has tremendous utility. Yeah. John, thank you again. Everyone, be well, and we'll see you at the next program. Have a great Guys, day. Guys, we're out.